I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Lieutenant Joe here. So I'm on the road again, which is a lot. I travel a lot for business now. We're, we're in a very busy time of the year. But I guess uh, spring was busy, summer was busy, winter is busy, fall, it's all busy. You know, the, the world is in a situation where there's danger everywhere. Now, it's not always immediate on top of us kind of danger, but there are safety and security concerns just about everywhere. Now, we know crime is completely out of control, so we're going to talk a little bit about crime and justice today. But we also know that people feel unsafe we know that people are concerned about rising levels of crime and danger and whether or not they're comfortable, whether their families are comfortable or not, is a, is a growing conversation we're having in America. And it all leads, I think, to one conclusion that we have now seen things done in a certain way. And that, that, that's a simple answer. Let me think about this for a second by saying that we've seen things done in a certain way have led us to this place is too simple of an answer. I think we can take the concerns that many people have had for a while about the, the diminishing quality of life in America. Now, granted, not everywhere. You might be in a place that's absolutely awesome, and I'm glad you are. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself there, and I, don't, I live in a place that's not terrible, but there is crime. Uh, I'm very close to a lot of major cities where the crime is very bad, where it is very dangerous for people to live, uh, and that, that is spreading out into the suburbs. Because what has really changed is our group understanding of what good and decent means. And being good and decent can also mean that you, uh, I don't know, you have to conform to certain things, you know, you have to be accountable for what you do and what you say and, and how you behave. And we've seen that change over the course of time. Right? Remember, I, I remember this. I remember there was a time when we all understood right and wrong. And we paid attention to what was right and wrong. You tried to do what was right and avoid what was wrong. Now, not everyone did. Some people did wrong things all the time. We know that. And we probably all know people like that who have chosen to do the wrong things, to cheat on taxes, to steal, to take something that doesn't belong to them. You know, it's funny, I, I travel. And when I travel by air and I fly somewhere, I have all my stuff with me. You know, I have all my, my, my suitcase, my computers, I have all my stuff with me. But when I travel by vehicle, you know, and I'm going to leave something out in my car, there's always this concern that someone will come along, bust out my window, and steal something out of my car. And it could be something important to me. So I have told you about my time in San Francisco. I was out there in uh, the winter, and I was out there for work, and we landed in San Francisco Airport. The airport itself is beautiful. It's very convenient. It's probably one of the better airports I've ever been in. But we got our rental car, and I, I was given an admonishment by the young man at the rental counter. He said, hey, listen, uh, just be aware that you are to leave 
nothing visible in the car when you get out of the car. It doesn't matter where you get out. If you get out at a, uh, a 7-Eleven, if you get out at a tourist visiting area, if you get out at a state park, if you get out to go to a restaurant, do not leave anything visible in your car. And I said, well, what do you mean like my suitcase? He goes, it's not just suitcases. Do not leave a phone charger visible. Do not leave a pen visible in on the uh, console. If you leave a bottle of water or a hat, your window will get smashed open and somebody will take that pen or that hat or that car charger. So what we had to do is every time we stopped to get out of the car for something where we were not going to be within sight of the car, we had to take everything and put it in the trunk. Now that seemed like a simple thing, but this is ridiculous that we should have to live this way. Now, I know that uh, we, we talked to police officers there, and I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, San Francisco officers, and they're like, listen, we get about 80 or 90 reports of uh, smash, smash and grab car windows every day. We, we don't even take the reports really anymore. It's, uh, don't do it. So there's signs all over the San Francisco area, even, even out into uh, the surrounding mountainy suburb wine area, all these signs that show a picture of, of somebody in a ski mask and it says, do not leave anything in your car. This is a smash and grab area. Right? Unbelievable. So as I'm going through my uh, pages of outrages here, there is a story about San Francisco. And since we're on that and it comes to, to crime and punishment, uh, I think I'll, I'll try and jump to it. So San Francisco had a DA that was impeached and removed a recall election and thrown out because much too weak. But San Francisco led the way, the progressive way, of uh, defund the cops, don't arrest criminals, let people steal up to X amount of dollars a day, uh, have, have compassion because, you know, they're stealing diapers and food so they can live, uh, and that's not really true. That's the argument that's made to us so that we, who can argue with that? If somebody's starving and they stole to eat, you know, you could say, well, if you're feeding your family, it's, it's not right. But, uh, you know, they're stealing food to eat or, you know, they're stealing diapers because the babies need diapers and they don't have money for that. Okay. All right. You can kind of get that. You could understand. Not, it doesn't make it right, but it's certainly, um, that, that would, that would play on your heartstrings. When you find out that people are stealing jewelry, stealing uh, Chanel bags, are stealing uh, very high-end clothes, are stealing anything nailed down that's not food or diapers that they need, you realize that it's really a bunch of nonsense. So it got so bad in San Francisco that they had a recall. And they recalled the prosecutor whose parents, I, I don't remember the exact uh, left-wing, crazy, radical organization his parents were from, but he had a lot of the same beliefs as them, and, and he believed this socialist, Marxist, uh, stir-up-the-pot kind of philosophy. That's why he didn't want to arrest anybody, wouldn't charge anyone, wouldn't hold them in jail. So they went and they got a new prosecutor. Now, this young lady hit the, hit the, uh, hit the ground running, and uh, I believe her name is Brooke Jenkins. Now, when she came out, she spoke a pretty good... She spoke a pretty good... A story about, you know, she's going to be uh, an aggressive prosecutor. She's going to protect people. She's going to cut down on crime. And we all know that that hasn't happened. That as much as she said those good things, the problem is, is not the idea of uh, 
uh, fighting crime. Uh, the problem is not uh, trying to keep people safe. Those are concepts we all have, no matter where we sit on the aisle. The problem is how do you do it? You see, because from a conservative kind of a point of view, uh, you want to cut down on crime. You increase the number of police officers you have. You train them properly. You send them out into the areas where the crime is. And then you have them aggressively patrol those areas. You have them aggressively and proactively try to prevent crime, identify suspicious people, and stop things before they happen. And then when you do have events, criminal events that take place, you aggressively prosecute them and you make sure they go to prison. See, because the, the idea is this, about 25% of our population, across the board, everybody, you know, I'm not talking about any particular group of people, across the board, about 25% of people are habitually criminal. They don't follow the rules, they don't care about what you think, they'll take your stuff, they'll kill you, they'll rob you, they'll rape you, whatever works for them. These are antisocial people, these are criminals, these are career criminals about 25% of the population. The rest of us are victims. So the way you deal with that is when you arrest somebody for one of these things, you lock them up and you hold them to bail so that they can't commit more crimes while they're waiting for their trial. When they eventually do get to trial, you prosecute them strenuously. And when they, and if they are convicted, you put them in prison for a long period of time for several reasons. Number one, to keep everybody safe from them and their behavior. Number two, to send a message that we do not stand for crime in our community. And number three, so that they are punished for what they did. There has to be some, some penalty. They have to have some uh, deterrent to doing this again. But we've gotten away from that. The whole defund the police movement, the coddle the criminal movement is because there's this uh, misguided belief that our system is bad. Our system is racist. Our system only goes after people of color. We don't care what white people do. They can rape and rob and murder and steal. We don't care what they do. We just want to go after our minority population. And that's not true. That is not how police officers work. That is not how crime uh, is addressed. But we've, we've got that belief in our mainstream world now, in our progressive world, in our uh, media, in our movies, in everything. We've got this misguided, wrong belief of what's going on with crime and therefore we're not going to hold people to account. Because again, how many times can I say this, please? Uh, you know, the whole concept is if, well, you know, it's the police causing the problem. The police are stopping people because they don't like them. Uh, and, and, and then they're finding their guns in the car and then they're finding their drugs in the car and then they're finding the bodies that they've killed in the car. And that's not fair because uh, they're only targeting people. In reality, our society has gotten twisted to the point that we don't say, um, if you got drugs in a car, if you got guns in a car, if you got a body in a trunk because you killed somebody, that should be our focus, right? Not, uh, well, the police stopped them on a pretense and found out about their crime. So let's clear up a couple of things that I just said. I am not in favor of violating anyone's rights. I've spent my entire career working in law enforcement and I maintained the Constitution at all times for a couple of reasons. Number one, that's what we're supposed to do. Number two, I always said, how would I want me or anybody in my family treated by law enforcement in respect to our rights? And number three, it's the right thing to do. 
right? We have a constitution for a reason. If we don't follow it, we all suffer. So let's be clear on that. But the reality is that doesn't mean you cannot be out there in the streets in force looking for criminal activity. So in all these areas where you have crime, serious, serious background, Chicago, go to Chicago, the neighborhoods in Chicago where this weekend we're going to hear seven people were murdered and 32 people were shot. And we'll hear the same thing next weekend. And then we'll hear that three children playing in the street were gunned down by crossfire bullets from gang members. Or we'll hear that uh, a child sleeping in their bed was, uh, was killed by a stray bullet that came through the wall. Now, the answer here is not to take guns away from citizens who are law-abiding and have the right to have their guns. The answer here is very simple and very clear. You send a force of well-trained, well-supervised law enforcement officers into that area where that crime is taking place, and you aggressively patrol and you proactively seek out people who are committing crime. Now, our Constitution prevents us from simply being stopped for no reason and being searched for no reason. Every law enforcement officer in America knows there are rules for the way we do this. But the truth is also out there that someone who is engaging in criminal activity, who may be carrying a weapon, there are telltale signs that someone is carrying a weapon. And when you see that, you should take action to go and see if that person is indeed carrying a weapon and they are not a legal weapon carrier. When you see uh, people in a closed industrial park, do they have a right to be there? Yes, they do. If it's on a street, it's a public street, you can be anywhere you want. But the reality is, if it's an industrial park and it's closed and you've been having burglaries in that area, wouldn't you want to see and find out, hey, what's everybody doing here? Is there something going on? Is there a party tonight? Because if there's a party, go ahead to the party. Have a good time. Nothing? Oh, you're just walking through the neighborhood? Okay. And then you sit there and you watch them. And then you let them go. They walk. Let them walk out of the industrial park. But if there's burglaries there and you find a bunch of people with screwdrivers and other tools on them, uh, you got to say to yourself, hmm, what's going on in this closed industrial park? That's progressive uh, I mean, proactive police work. If you see somebody appears to be carrying a weapon, you should stop them and find out if it's a weapon. And if you see it's a weapon, arrest them. You know, uh, New Jersey has some very strict gun laws. New Jersey is a very pro progressive state. They don't like guns in New Jersey. And uh, if you get stopped with a weapon and you're not legally authorized to carry that weapon, you can go to, you can go to jail, right? And Unless, of course, you're Hunter Biden, but that's besides the point. If you commit a crime with a weapon, there's parts of statutes that say immediately three to five years in prison for committing a crime with a weapon. So that would, that would put a lot of people in prison because a lot of people commit crimes with guns. But if we stop looking for people carrying guns who will also commit crimes, crime doesn't go down. Crime goes up goes up, 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 and then, then there's more victims. So the answer to a place like Chicago or San Francisco or New York or any place where there is crime is to go in there in force with well-trained, well-supervised officers working within the Constitution and go after people who are committing crimes.
so that people who live in those communities, who live in those neighborhoods, can live a life without their babies getting shot by stray bullets or old ladies getting punched in the face or people being thrown on subway tracks. We have to be realistic about this. The problem is there is no, uh, there's no guts. There's no, there's no impetus to do this. I thought in Minnesota, there was a woman, uh, she was one of the big uh, defund the police people. Defund the police, get rid of the police, I hate the police, police are bad, police will kill you, police are this and that and the other thing. A lot of nonsense, but that was her position. Until she got carjacked with her children in the car. She got pummeled and carjacked. And suddenly she said, maybe we need to have more police on the street. Oh, because it happened to you, it, it's time to take action. What about all the people who've been living with this since your nonsense of defund the police. So anyway, this prosecutor, um, Brooke Jenkins, comes out and makes a statement the other day where she says, we have to increase the number of law enforcement officers. Hooray, good call, Brooke. We have to enforce the laws. Good job, Brooke, you're on the right path. She says, but the problem is really with the judges. The problem is with the judges. She's insisting on, on stricter enforcement, more officers going out, doing exactly what I'm suggesting, proactive patrol, aggressive police work. But then the officers make arrests and the judges let them out. And she says, and that's really the problem. And I'm gonna say, put the brakes on it right there, Brooke. Let me help you out and give you some further information. The judges may be letting people out. They may be refusing to hold people to bail. They may be refusing to hold people accountable. And that's, that's a problem with, with the judges. And that depends on what judges you put on the bench, right? If you put very progressive, liberal, Marxist type of judges on the bench, you're going to live with the results of that which is high crime and criminals not being held to account. It's pretty clear. It's crystal clear. This, I'm not making this up. I'm not saying it because I hate people or I hate a philosophy. I'm saying it's right in front of our eyes. If you put in more conservative judges, more uh, judges who look at the rule of law and, and say you, you commit a crime, you're proved that you commit the crime, we're going to hold you accountable and put you in jail. So it's really, even though the judges are making these decisions, they're making them because people like Brooke, like you, Brooke, um, progressive people have demanded that the state legislature weaken their laws. Uh, you've elected uh, politicians who are very progressive, very left-wing, very weak on crime, uh, and they have uh, created laws and policies and procedures that say, well, we don't want to keep people in jail. We How about the no-bail movement? Now, I did want to address that. Because the no bail movement is interesting and it's something we do have to look at. The purpose of bail, let's look at what is the purpose of bail? Why do you set bail on someone charged with a crime? You set bail on someone because uh, you want to make sure that they have an interest in coming to court. So if somebody is shoplifting and you have a $500 uh, bail, for a shoplifter. Now this person uh, is shoplifting. Maybe they shoplifted $100 worth of stuff or $200 worth of stuff or $1,000 worth of stuff. And they shoplifted and you put a $500 bail on them. If they don't come to court 
they lose that $500 and there's a warrant issued for them, which they can then uh, be go to jail right, for, for not coming to court, contempt of court or whatever. So the idea of bail is to make sure you show up to court, because if not, if there's no bail and I commit crime and I'm a criminal, I'm just going to I'm not going to go to court. So I got one more warrant that the cops won't enforce. They won't pick me up on warrants because they won't stop me because they're told by the politicians, don't stop people, leave people alone, let them do whatever. So what happens is we have a force multiplier of crime. What we do need to address is the kind of bail that we set. Now, I think I've laid out a formula here in the past, but it's good for a refresher. I think I'll do it again. When you lay out a formula for setting bail, the whole idea is that if somebody commits a very serious crime and they could potentially go to jail for a long time for their actions if they're convicted, then there is an incentive for that person to skip town, to leave, to assume another identity, to flee the area so they're not held accountable and don't go to prison for a long time. So you put a high bail on someone, right? So that now the effect, and here's where, this is what we need to figure out. The effect of a high bail is that it keeps someone in jail so that they can't go back on the street, they can't flee, uh, they, they can't commit more crime. That's a very good effect of a high bail. The reality is it's a little incongruous from what bail is really meant to do. I think in the, in the ensuing decades, we saw this rise in violent crime and more crime and more crime and more crime. And there's very few ways that we could keep these, this 25% of the population that commits these violent crimes over and over. There's very few ways we could keep track of them and prevent them from going out and committing more crimes. So they put a very high bail on the person and therefore they would sit in jail, unable to get out of jail for months at a time. Could be six months, six months, seven months, a year. And then they go to trial, they're convicted. And the trade-off was if they're convicted, they get credit for the time served that they sat in jail on bail because they couldn't get out. So really it was a subterfuge. And this is why we have to address this and come up with a different formula. Because the idea was we have to prevent these people from getting back in the street and hurting more people. How can we do it legally without violating their rights? Well, we set a very high bail. Now, how much bail can someone make? And this is where the argument can be made that some people who are lower in the socioeconomic chain cannot make bail and therefore they are stuck in jail where someone who commits the same crime but is uh, higher in the socioeconomic frame, they can post a bail and get out. And therefore they're free uh, in the meantime. And you say, well then poor people really can't make bail. So this is where a lot of times I think there's a sliding scale we might wanna consider. I don't know if this is the best idea, but I'm trying to finger a way to uh, make it proportionate to the person. So if I'm someone who makes $10,000 a year and I commit a crime, a robbery, uh, and they put uh, $50,000 bail on me, there's absolutely no way I can post that bail. So I'm gonna sit in jail till my trial. But if I make $200,000 and I commit a crime like robbery or some economic crime, just as bad, or I deal drugs or I do something else, but I have all these resources and they put a $50,000 bail on me, I can make bail. One of two ways, maybe I have the $50,000 that I can put up and I'm out. 
maybe I own a home and I can put up the home and I can get out. Maybe I can go to a bail bondsman. Now the average bail bondsman will charge you a 10% fee to put up the bail. So if my bail is 50,000, I have to put up a $5,000 bond. Now the bail bondsman might charge me $500 to put up a $5,000 bond. But I have the 500, so I pay it and I get out, I bond out. Still, that person making 10 or 12,000 a year can't even afford that. And they sit in jail. Now, I know I can hear, I can hear from the sides of the aisles, who cares, Lieutenant Joe? They're criminals. Keep them in jail. I understand that, and I get it. You commit a crime, especially a violent crime. Uh, we want to keep them, people who do that, away from the rest of us. So keeping them in jail is a good idea, and that would be good. We just lock them up. The problem is our Constitution has set us up to say we can't just do that. So bail is in there. Bail's in the Constitution. You can hold people to bail, and that's why we do it. It's constitutional. It's just sometimes not proportionate. And that's where I'm saying we need to rethink the things that we set bail for. So I always suggest that nonviolent crimes like shoplifting, uh, uh, simple assault that you, you engage in with somebody else, you fight each other in the street, which is, you know, you want to fight each other in the street. First of all, why are you fighting in the street? What the hell's wrong with you? But if you do and you get arrested for it, um, non, non-violent things where nobody gets hurt, right? It's just you and some other idiot fighting and you did it, you disturbed the peace. A lot of times there, there isn't even bail for that. Sometimes it's just a summons, you know, you, you disorderly persons, you go to court. But let's just say non-violent things and we, then we add a dollar value to it. So if you shoplift, your bail is $300. No matter who you are, no matter your economic background, 300 bucks. Uh, if you shoplift over $1,000, now the bail should maybe be $800. If you shoplift $10,000, like in one of these, uh, these sprees that they're going through now, you're seeing groups of people go in and steal you know, $50,000 worth of watches or perfume or, or bags or whatever. Maybe your bail at that point should be stealing that much, should be $20,000. See, so this way it's more proportional to what people did. Um, and you'd also, I would set a limit on how many times you were, how many times were you arrested for shoplifting $300 worth of stuff? Twice? All right, now your bail goes to $5,000 because you've demonstrated that every time we let you out, you go do this again. You see what I'm saying? We have to rethink this, and I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to criminal justice reform. I've said till I am blue in the face that I think we need to rethink what we expect our officers to do, what we expect them to enforce, and things we don't want them to enforce, we should remove from the law books. It's as simple as that. If you don't want officers in your community uh, stopping teenagers with beer, uh, then take that off the books and you say teenagers can have beer at 15 years old. Uh, our community says that's okay, and we get that off the books. If not, then there's a reason that you stop kids with beer, because it can hurt them, they can be intoxicated, all kinds of reasons, but that's the law, and we enforce that law. So I think we need to really look at our criminal justice system with the view to protect victims and future victims and not worry so much about the criminals, but there's a lot for us to do here. All right, so let's think about that a little bit. Uh, and we'll be back in a minute with more. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. 
Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Okay, so what can we talk about? What 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 what, what shall we talk about? Right from uh, Indiana Jones. Everybody remembers that line. Uh, what, what 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 shall we talk about? All right. So in my pages of outrage, some of the things that we've seen gone on recently, we have once again. Let's jump into the political world here for a little bit. Once again, we have seen the GOP, the Republicans, that we have elected to office. We have seen them break down out of cowardice, foolishness, stupidity, or whatever. We have seen the rhinos among them uh, reveal themselves to all of us. We have seen a clear definition of the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. Democrats have a very united front. They all believe the same things. They march in lockstep with each other. They vote like a block. Uh, they're not worried about getting invited to the, to the cocktail parties. They go out and do their progressive agenda. And you have to say that that's a strong thing for them. Now, their agenda, I think, is bad. I think their agenda is dangerous. I think it is uh, damaging to our country. It's damaging to our families, damaging to our nation. But they do stick together. The Republicans, on the other hand, uh, have a tendency to fall apart. Uh, there's a lot of weak Republicans. So right now we see uh, House Speaker McCarthy is trying to get through some financial bills, right? That he broke the bills. Instead of one big, great big fat spending bill, he wanted to do 12 individual bills. 
right? I, I think I kind of like that idea. You know, you, this way you break down some of the things. Uh, you can't just pile it up with pork. You can't add uh, all kinds of crazy things to it. I always believe that each thing should be individually passed. So if we want to build a bridge to nowhere, then we have to vote on a bridge to nowhere. And I want to know why we're building this bridge to nowhere. And maybe it gets voted down. As opposed to building uh, a very needed airport somewhere, because we need it for transportation, and then tacking on a bridge to nowhere, a train to nowhere, uh, this, that, or the other thing. Everybody's pet money gets put into things. That's where we end up spending like crazy. So we see the Republicans have a slim majority in the House, and they're going to do the right thing. But they can't help but fall over themselves, trip over each other, uh, act like idiots, uh, allow the, the weakness of some of them. Well, I have to go back to my district, and I can't vote for that because I have some pe- I'm, I'm in a purple district, and I might lose my job. Well, you know what? Are you there for your career, or are you there because you want to do the right thing for your country? This is the problem that we have. And this is why I think term limits are absolutely important. We have term limits on the president because you can't have somebody to have so much power for so many years. You just can't do it. It's it, We know that total power corrupts totally. And if you let somebody be the president three, four, five, six, seven terms, you know, for 40 years of their life, they're going to end up uh, being very despotic. And we, we can't have that. So we have eight years. And then you got to get out. But not in the House, not in the Senate. They can list. You look at these. Look at these old codgers that are there forever. They've made a career out of it. They will choose their career over what's good for you. They will tell you anything you want to hear, so you vote for them. And then when it comes time to do things, well, if it means I might have a problem getting reelected or raising money, I'm not going to do it. So this is where we see uh, the weakness of the Republicans. So there's five Republicans holding out on the on some of these bills that we're trying to pass. And I'm not going to go into the individual bills. You know, you can find that information anywhere. But they're trying to do, I think, the right thing in saying, hey, this is a bill about the military. Well, we support our military. So let's make sure the military has the money it needs to keep us strong, that our veterans have what they need, um, that the Social Security is paid, right? So, so the people who count on those things are there. But we're not going to lump stuff together. I think that's a very, very good idea. But they're arguing over these things because they can't they can't get past their careers. This is where term limits would come in very handy. Yeah, but Lieutenant Joe, if you limit some good people, then they'll only be there a short time. Then you could you could get stupid people. Well, uh, I would argue uh, that that's true. Uh, but I would also argue that we have stupid people. We have. Uh, people who are not the best in office and they get in there once you're an incumbent the power of the incumbency is very strong Uh, you have people who want things from you so they donate to you and then you do things for them and then they give you more money and money is the mother's milk of politics so this is where and we'll never we'll never see uh, term limits because the people who have to vote on term limits are the very people who would have to leave their job when their term limit was over. So they will never vote on it, which is, you know, whose fault is that? Oh, those politics. No, it's not their fault. It's your fault. It's my fault because we vote for the same people. I think if we went through a couple of sessions, a couple of uh, election cycles where we said, you know, we really love um, Bob Jones. He is a great congressman, but Bob Jones, we want you to create a bill 
you know, you represent us, representative government. We want you to create a term limits bills, three, three terms for a congressman. And he doesn't do it. So then whoever primaries goes up to him against against a primary, even though if we love Bob Jones and he's a great congressman, but he won't vote for something we want, he won't push for time limits, term limits, then we take the person in the primary and we throw him out of his job. If we did that over a few election cycles in a row where these people realize, uh-oh, uh, I am a representative of my district and my district really wants this, I had better do it. Not well, I'm in here now, and I'm going to hold on to this as long as I can. I'm going to get speaking fees. I'm going to get uh, people giving me things. I'm going to have a great life here in Washington. That's our fault because we don't do it because you always hear. Congress has what, what a 14% approval rating for Congress. But when you ask the individual, but my guy's great. My girl's great. The rest of them are no good, and that's the problem. So term limits would be very advantageous to the American people throw these people out. Then you would go there for a couple of years. You would do your work. You would say, hey, they sent me here uh, to uh, cut spending. And you'd go there and vote for cutting spending because you're not trying to protect your, your job forever. You're there for a purpose. You would go do it. Same thing with the Senate. I, I agree that 100%. Uh, then they would go and do the work that we send them there for, and then they leave. Now, I would also, since I'm thinking about it, I would also set up well, Lieutenant Joe, if you don't make it a career, uh, how can you go to Congress? If I'm a plumber and I have really good ideas and people like me, how could I go to Congress for, for six years and then I come back, I don't have a job? Well, I agree. That's a problem. And we solve problems by thinking about the situation. And then we come up with a tenable way to solve it. So if I'm a plumber and I work for the Ajax Plumbing Company, and I run for Congress and I'm elected and I have to leave for six years, then I think we need to create some kind of a law system that's specific to someone running for Congress and serving in Congress. Not every single person in the world, but if you are elected to Congress and you go there to serve, because that's what you're there for, to serve, if you go there and serve uh, up to three terms, when you're done serving, you can come back to your job. If your company still exists, you will come back to your job. So therefore, you would be able to hire people under a, uh, a, a to replace that person who, who became a congressman, a temporary worker with all the benefits and everything of a full-time worker, but with the understanding that you are there as a temporary person until this person comes back from Congress. Uh, and this way, that person, the plumber, could go there and, and he might be, or she might be the greatest congressperson that ever lived great ideas, great passion, whatever, could really help our country. And they know they could come back and get their job back, right? So they would take time off. They, they, the whole idea was that farmers and people could leave, leave their lives and go serve their country for some time and then go back to their lives to bring their ideas, bring their passion and go back. It wasn't meant to be a lifetime career that you end up with beach houses and uh, Corvettes and uh, tons of money in the bank, uh, great vacations, and you stay there forever and ever and ever. That you promise and promise and promise and then never deliver because you're worried about your career. Do you get the point? I think we all get the point. Uh, but will that ever happen? No. Uh, people will not vote themselves out of goodies. That's why what I'm suggesting is we all have to get together and say we demand term limits. And if our congressman does not write a bill, approve a bill, vote for a bill that causes term limits, 
you turn them out at the next election, no matter who comes up against them. And I'm not saying switch parties. I'm not saying, well, if you're a Republican, won't do it. You vote for the Democrat. I'm saying that somebody needs to then primary that Republican and says, hey, if you put me in, I'll do the term limits. And you, if that person doesn't, you throw her out and you get to the next person who says they'll do it till eventually you'll get someone who will do it. They'll go, wow, I will only be here one term. Uh, I kind of like uh, the beach houses and all this stuff I can get. So I'm going to do what the people want. I'm going to vote for term limits. Get it? You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? So... In the world of politics right now, we see a heated, uh, a heated Republican uh, primary going on. We see Donald Trump is way ahead. Most likely, he will be the nominee. Now, there's all kinds of conversation about Donald Trump being the nominee. Um, I think he did a good job as president. I don't like the things that he said about his personal life and the the things, the way he treated some people. I didn't like any of that, but I liked what he did as president and the results he got as president. Therefore, I would vote for him again if he's the Republican nominee because I believe his policies were good for America. They were good for my country. They were good for me and for my family. And I think they are the best way to go because they're more conservative. Um, At the same time, we see other people are vying for that position. We see DeSantis. We see... uh, Haley, we see Tim Scott, uh, we see all these people out there in the field, and they're still working it, trying to become the person. So there's theory that, you know, sometimes they're actually running for vice president, or they're hoping that, you know, maybe not this time, but they got name recognition, and they'll be considered the next time. That's all good. That's all good calculus. I think any one of the Republicans would be a better president than Joe Biden, or a better president than anybody who has progressive left-wing policies that have caused us so... See, we now have enough time. We now have enough time to see over the course of the last 20 years when we have had uh, several terms of uh, Democratic politicians and their policies uh, ruling the country. So we've had a Barack Obama for twice, you know, for eight years. We had uh, Donald Trump for four. We've had Joe Biden for, uh, you know, for four and maybe another four. Um, but we see how, how, that, how did that work out? Are we better off or worse off based on the policies? See, I have nothing against my friends on the left. They have good ideas. They have good hearts. I know they are. They just want what's best for people. But the policies are no good. The policies are dangerous. The policies don't work. So we can see now clearly the difference between a progressive liberal set of uh, policies and, and practices and how that compares to a conservative set of policies and practice. Countries much, much better off under a conservative. Uh, financially, we're better off. Militarily, we're better off. Uh, educationally, we're better off. We're, we're better off. It's as simple as that. We were better off under Ronald Reagan than we were under Jimmy Carter. You know, that's just a reality. So we see in the Democrat Party, we don't see such a heated uh, primary. Why? Because they have decided that they don't care about, uh, you know, the principles of people running and give the people a choice. They've decided, no, we're back in Joe Biden and that's it. They'll be, you know, RFK Jr. He's out there. He's being silenced. He's being canceled. He gets, he doesn't get, there's no prime, there's no, there's going to be no uh, debates. Joe Biden will not debate. He's not debating RFK or, or anyone else. Uh, it's Joe Biden. That's all we're backing. 
and people are saying, oh, well, I wish there was somebody else. I think he's a little old. I think he's incompetent. Well, here you have other people, but the party's not letting them in. That is a corruption. It's as simple as that. So we don't see such a, a robust offer on the other side. They're just trying to maintain power with all of the the things they could say on top of it to help convince you that you better stay with Joe Biden because if Trump gets in there, oh my God, he's evil. He's got he's got four indictments against him. He's a criminal, right? They're Biden indictments. I do agree with that. Um, if it wasn't for the um, weaponization of the uh, judicial system of the of the attorney general's office of the Department of Justice, I don't think there would be these uh, charges against Trump. Um, this is all politically based. Now, he may have done some of the things that they're charging him with. He may have, uh, you know, held on to records. But as the president, he can say they're unclassified. Even in his own head, they're unclassified. He's the guy that has that word. They don't like that. They're going after him for that. They're going after him for uh, a lawsuit in New York. They're going to go after him because uh, he tried to change the election. Well, if he really was trying to change the election, how come he isn't still president? January 6th, he created that whole thing on January 6th, even though the evidence is crystal clear he did not do that. Now, did the people who went into the to the, uh, to the Congress, who, who broke in, yeah, they, they should be charged with breaking and entering, riot, um, uh, assault if they hit anybody. If they, of course they should. You're not allowed to do that. That's not appropriate. They shouldn't have done it. They should have protested. They should have screamed really loud because isn't that what Trump told them to do? I hear some of you are going to go take a walk down to Congress and let your voices be heard. They should have stood outside. They should have chanted, you know, like our friends on the left do. Chant. Come up with some crazy chant. You know, uh, no, no, no election was right and then we'll have to fight or whatever nonsense they want to chant. But you let people know that they see this mass of people who are upset. You don't go breaking into a building. You don't hit a police officer. You don't bust windows. You don't, you just don't do that. But that is not an insurrection. There is no way that the, the guy with the, with the horns on his hat was going to go, give me the nuclear codes. I now control the Congress building. I am now in charge of America. There, there, was, there was none, no chance whatsoever that there was going to be an insurrection to take over the government. That's not what they were doing. There were angry, angry people who felt that there was something wrong with the system and they went overboard. And for that going overboard, they should be held accountable. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, but not, not you, know, you know, 30 years in prison, 20 years in prison. They busted some windows. They went someplace they shouldn't. Okay? Uh, but that's being adjudicated in the court. And that's our system. Right? Our system. So you say, if the system is being fair, then they'll get what they deserve for what they did. If the system is not fair and it's being weaponized, to make an example of people who were upset with the government, who didn't like the way things went, uh, then that's that's going after you. They may be the ones under arrest, and they may be the ones going to prison, but the message is meant for you. Shut your mouth. Take whatever we give you. Whatever it comes out, how we say it comes out, that's what you'll do. That's the purpose of weaponizing the Department of Justice to let people know you can't fight City Hall. And if you do, we will show up at your house with a SWAT team and drag you off to prison. And you cannot fight City Hall. You know, that's the purpose of that kind of weaponization. When we see the, the crystal clear 
examples of a two-tier set of justice. You have to be blind, or like I've said in the past, either you don't see it because you can't, because you're too stupid to actually see it, or you won't see it because you're okay as long as it's as long as it's your side's winning. Well, that kind of an attitude um, is going to come back to bite you because at some point you won't be in power, and if the other side did it, then you would be suffering, and no one should suffer that kind of a thing in America. We should be of ideas and principles. And if I make my argument, this is why I think we should do things like this. If people agree with me and they vote for me, then that's what we'll do. If I present my ideas and people say, no, we don't want to do that, then I'll lose. And that's how it's supposed to work, right? We're supposed to have our voices heard because after all, it is we, the people, not the government telling us how to live, what to do. It is we, the people, who tell the government how to do things. That was a pretty lengthy diatribe, don't you think, people? So as I break that down, um, one of the things that we see is this attempt to limit Joe Biden from having to go speak, to having to debate. Uh, and there are some people very upset with that. They don't want him. Matter of fact, in the Democrat Party, they're saying they think he is too old. Maybe he, he shouldn't be there. So recently, uh, rock and roll star legend Eric Clapton uh, has done some fundraising for RFK Jr. And apparently he raised $2.2 million for RFK to use in his campaign. Unfortunately, he won't be able to debate Joe Biden because they're not allowing debate because he probably couldn't, he couldn't do a sustained debate. Uh, four years ago, he uh, barely held on in a debate uh, he lied. Uh, we know that there was, he lied about a lot of things. You know, 51, 51 former uh, intelligence agencies say that laptop is bogus. And they signed this letter because they knew Trump was going to bring that up. And they lied. They got together. They weaponized the intelligence community. They wrote up a document that now all of them go, well, I didn't, I didn't know. I wasn't signing that. I didn't mean to sign that. It wasn't. And they all did it because they were trying to give Joe Biden some fuel to beat Donald Trump. So he would have an answer on the stage when Trump brought up the Hunter Biden laptop. That laptop and the information that's in there is really the biggest scandal, I think, in our lifetimes to reveal political corruption. You don't have to be an ace detective to see it. You just have to be a person of normal intelligence to start connecting the dots. When you see all, you know, there's no evidence. There's no, there's not a scintilla of evidence. No, there's lots of scintillas of evidence. Um, right now, a senator from my state, Bob, Bob Melendez, uh, kind of a mediocre kind of guy, been there for a long time. Just He's a placeholder. He's a Democrat, so he runs and he wins, you know, to stay there until he decides he doesn't want to be there. But he's, he's been under, um, under investigation in the past for ethics and this and that. Now they're investigating him again. DOJ is investigating him again because there's information. They received information, just information. There was a letter written that said him or his wife accepted $400,000 in gold, G-O-L-D, gold, to um, offer some assistance to a very wealthy person uh, in the legislature who was being investigated for some, committing some kind of economic crime. Now, 
they don't have gold bars at Bob Melendez's house. They don't have a video of Bob Melendez or his wife taking gold bars from a guy. They received a letter from someone who alleges that they did. And what are they doing? They're going all out. They're doing an investigation. Why? Because they had an allegation. And if the allegation is true, then this is a terrible crime and we have to investigate it. That's how the system is supposed to work. That's how the system is supposed to work. When I was a detective, we got calls and letters and emails and all kinds of communications from people who would say, um, uh, Johnny Babelschlatz uh, is dealing drugs out of his house at 123 Main Street. Oh, okay. You know, we would take that in for we'd say, You know what? I look around my desk. I don't see anything in here that says Johnny Babelschlatz is dealing drugs. I don't know Johnny Babelschlatz. I don't know that he's dealing drugs. So uh, forget it. Who cares what this person said to me? No. We would take information as an investigatory agency and say, is this a crime? Well, dealing drugs is a crime. And somebody told you that a particular person is committing a crime at a certain location. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm not going to run down and lock up Johnny Babelschlatz. I have no, no probable cause to do that. I'm not going to uh, sign an arrest warrant or search warrant, go into his house. I have no way to get that. I don't have the probable cause. All I have is some information that someone gave me. And now, as the investigating agency in my town, it is incumbent on me as part of my duty to investigate it and see if there's anything to it. So if I can reach out to this person who gave me the information, I would say, what makes you think that he's dealing drugs. Well, he's got cars pulling up the front of the house. People run up to the front door. I see them hand each other something. I see money. This goes on all night long from seven to eight o'clock at night, every single night. Oh, okay. So now I have information. Now I will go out in a surveillance vehicle and I will sit and I will watch from seven to eight o'clock. Now I see cars pulling up, people running up to the door, exchanging money for something. Boy, that kind of does look like a drug transaction. Hmm, how can I follow this up now? Now I would look into Johnny Babelschlatz's background. I will see if he has a criminal arrest anywhere. I will talk to, uh, I will read any reports that's ever come in about him. I will reach out to other agencies. Maybe we set up a situation where next time we see these look like hand-to-hand drug deals, we have a patrol car stop the car up the street. The car's got a tail light out, it runs a red light, whatever, and start talking to the people in the car. And the people in the car go, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I just bought this heroin from Johnny Babelschlatz. You arrest them, you bring them in, you get a statement from them, uh, then you try and work your case. The long story here I'm trying to get to is with information, an investigative agency is supposed to go and investigate and see if there's anything to it. Now, in the case of Hunter Biden, we have the laptop, which they knew was real. It wasn't Russian disinformation. It wasn't made up by Donald Trump. It was Hunter Biden's laptop that he stupidly left at the computer store. That guy copied the hard drive because he owned it. There's a deal. If you leave something for too long, it becomes the property of the person. And he sent that information in and it was ignored. They came and took the laptop, the evidence, and never acted on it. Now, there was more than enough information to at least start to investigate, but they did not. Now, if you live next door 
and somebody came and told the police that you were doing all kinds of crimes, they would probably start an investigation to figure it out to see if you're committing crime. And if it looked like you were, they would continue the investigation. With Hunter Biden, they did not. They had the information. They, they determined that the laptop was real and it was his. And in there is all kinds of information of him using drugs, of him cavorting around with people. Maybe he was doing the wrong thing with young people. Uh, there, there is, there's, there's something in there that should have been investigated. And then there was lots and lots of evidence of political corruption, of crimes being committed by his father, then the vice president, and him. And instead of investigating it like they should have, they covered it up. They would not cover it up for you. Just like my story about someone coming forward with a letter, an anonymous letter. You don't just throw that away. You look at it and say, how serious is this? Well, drug dealing in the community is pretty serious. So I, my obligation as an investigator, as law enforcement, is to go and investigate and see if there's any truth to that. They didn't do that. That's a two-tiered set of justice. And that is not right. That is unfair. That is not American. So whatever anybody says about any of this, you got to remember, we all should be doing the right thing, no matter what party we're from, no matter whether we're conservative or liberal, no matter what we think or believe, we should all be worrying about honesty, integrity, doing the right thing protecting each other, living by the, uh, the Constitution. Otherwise, we are just adrift at sea, waiting for all of this to come tumbling down. And what comes after this is not good. So I don't want that to happen. I want us to get together as a people and do the right thing again. All right? So listen, our time has come to an end. It's been another fun time. I have tons of stuff on my pages of outrages. I'll be getting back to them soon. But remember... Be a part of the solution, not the problem. We'll see you down the road.